I got a chance to fly on a one world carrier between Johannesburg and Cape Town on British air, which oddly enough, I mean, I guess it's not odd if you know the extensive history, not extensive, the varied history of South Africa. But uh, there's, there is a British, there are British airway flights that are direct between two cities, not in, in, you know, England, right? Between Cape Town and Johannesburg. It's very rare. It it would be as if, as if you were in France and uh, American airlines would fly you from Paris to like Marseille or something like that. It just (laughs) never happened. You'd have to fly in some regional carrier. Have you ever flown on like an EasyJet or a Ryanair? No, I think Southwest, um, which I don't know. I don't even think of the discount airline anymore. I feel like it's just a regular airline. But uh, I guess what's the other one? Frontier, I guess, would be the closest Ooh, here in Frontier. the States. Um, where, that's like, the one that has different animals on each plane, right? Uh, that, I think that's right. I don't know. I just yeah. know every time you anyone flies Frontier, they'll come back and just tell you the same story. You're not going to believe how expensive it was to like check bags or everything. You had to like pay for everything to upgrade. And then usually they're extremely late. And, you know, like not on time. So it, it, mm-hmm. I've never heard a good review. So the only thing people, I guess, do like is that occasionally you can get a really cheap flight. So there yeah. you have it. Yeah. You know, we haven't talked about air travel in a while, Brandon. Has, uh, <laughs> has it gotten any better? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I've just not had to travel as much in, in my mm. recent uh, work life. So, I mean, for me, it has always gotten a little bit better, right? That's an easy, yeah. uh, it's an easy yeah. answer. I don't know. I don't know if it uh, ever gets easier. I think it's just, uh, you know, you're always in the middle of, uh, you're either trying to get points, you got too many points, or you travel too much, yeah. uh, or you don't travel enough to get points. So like, you're always in some weird state. The only way, the only winning move is to not travel at all. But then, of course, you miss out on, like, talking to people and customers. So, oh. so there's no winning, man. There's just no winning this game. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was telling Kim that, you know, in, in, in a few years, I, I'm hoping to uh, either arrange my job or like, or just have my job be a lot less travel. Like maybe I don't know, once a quarter or something, or or even less. And 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 she considered it, and she was like, I don't know, you're like such a. Uh, these were not her exact words. I'm sure it was much more comforting and understanding and uh, nice. But she was essentially like, you're you're such like an introvert and like homebody that I feel like if you didn't travel, you would never talk to anyone. <laughs> I think, I don't know. I've always said the perfect job, uh, you know, whatever it is, is, is 25%, which is, I don't know, it's kind of like as one, I kind of think of it as like one trip a month, you know, mm. like where you're, and maybe that's like, you go out a week and you go two different places or like maybe two short trips, depending on how you work it out. Like, I think that's always like gives you enough time to one, be around your family. So they kind of miss you when you go, yeah. um, but they're not like sad. They're like, yeah, it wouldn't be so bad to have dad out of the house for a couple of days, you know? So that there's <laughs> like, you know, at my house it becomes like pizza night and I don't know. It's just like, there's like kind of a little ritual of like having fun stuff. And then um, it gives you a chance as someone traveling is like, you know, you do get to stay in touch with either colleagues or customers. And then you have enough time to come home and like maybe do some work, like actually consume like whatever it is that you are doing, like write up the trip report or put in the requirements or give feedback or you know help out with the sales deal mm. or something right because yeah when you get to like all these things where you're just traveling all the time unless like unless you're like uh, a paid performer where you really are like you're just like hey i did the show and i got paid right other than that like you always uh, it's like the email cloud just gets bigger and bigger that follows you you're like oh man i've been uh, i've been off email now for three yeah. days and you're just like and i've got you know it just grows exponentially how many things you're supposed to do so i always said 25 percent travels what i when this, people ask you that in the interview they just say, this I just is say a that. topic. Twenty-five percent. 
And and yeah. also it's enough to like get status at hotels and airlines. Maybe not top tier status, but something, right? Like you'll, you'll exactly. be fine. So that, that this topic, we should talk just a little bit. I should get your, give me some some therapy on this topic because I've been worrying. Uh, I'm trying to figure out if if I am a performer and therefore I am doing my job or if I actually need to like, you know, answer my emails, so to speak. <laughs> Literally and metaphorically speaking, right? And so, like, I figure, I think I travel, like, once a week and uh, occasionally twice a week. And then this week, I'm away for the whole week because I'm down in South Africa, right? Which mysteriously, not, not mysteriously, but, like, um, cognitively, oddly, it's in the same time zone as Amsterdam, but it's a 10-and-a-half-hour flight from Amsterdam. Oh, weird. That's yeah, yeah. strange, yeah. So, it is, it is, it's a little bizarre, right? Like, yeah. Like I was just calling back home before this and, uh, you know, everyone, everyone agreed even after three days in, like, this is very weird. Usually when you, you're gone this long, it's cause you're in like the other side of the world and things don't work out. But yeah, it, uh, it is strange. Anyways, you know, I, I, uh, I feel like, I feel like I'm not doing enough like work aside from traveling, but then like when I'm traveling, right, like I don't want to do anything. Like, I'm just like, my mind is just like fried out. And, uh, and like for here, for example, I'm like emceeing the two conferences we have down here. And so, you know, I got to, it takes a lot of energy to pretend like I want to be around people and entertain them. Uh, and these are things I probably shouldn't say recorded, but whatever. Uh, and, and, uh, and then when I get home, I'm just like, Ugh. And then I'm not home for long and I got to travel again. So I need, <laughs> I need to like, I need to like calibrate on the, the when I'm off the road, uh, personal and actual expectations of, of what I should be doing. But in your experience, extensive as it is, when when people travel a lot, like how much other work uh, are they expected to do? Well, I, I think you know the whole idea of how much they're expected to do versus what you can do is is a perpetual discussion between managers, executives, and people who travel a lot. I think reality is like if you're really full board traveling. And, you know, and, the, and ideally, right, the reason you have traveled is because you're doing something at some location that's going to occupy you, right? So let's mm. just start there. Because um, I, I don't understand. I've seen many times where people have traveled, then they're just like, I had to be in the hotel room. They're just like in the hotel room on calls the whole time. And it's like, that was, you know, again, no one wins in that situation. You should you know, just I, I not come. Say that. You know where I am right now doing what? <laughs> <laughs> in a hotel room doing a call i know but i just i think um the place that's most pronounced is like a conference like yeah you know, the whole purpose yes. to go to the conference was to be part of the conference so either work the booth meet people analyst relations whatever right mm -hmm. so when people say and of course like you maybe have to break away for an hour but like i have been in places where people like the entire day they're just like i just had to be on call so i always think that's just a total misuse of time um but then back to the the work that i think you can do uh, on uh, when you're traveling is like, I just call it like traffic, um, kind of traffic work, right? Where it's like in your email, you're just trying to keep things going. And usually you either have to have some staff behind you that maybe works for you or people that, you know, that you're really working with and they just need like an approval, a yes, no, a quick yeah, review yeah. of stuff. Like that kind of stuff, I think you can keep going. I think anything, I mean, I'm going to be honest, honest, this is probably too honest, but I think anything that requires more than 15 minutes certainly 30 minutes of direct effort when you're traveling it's like i tend not to do it right because you're just like by the time you context switch into it like you, you've got to put together like a whole new presentation for something else right it's like the webinar next week or you've got to do you know a long proposal or you got to write like a pretty long blog post or something like that like 
um, you know, unless you're just sort of on the plane and you've got like a real set, uh, set of time that's sort of blocked out and you're, and you're in, a, in a mindset that you can work because sometimes you get on a plane and it's just like that's time to like sleep a little bit, catch up on a movie. Yeah. Um, I just find like you know, any task, like that's the way I think of it. It's more like how many 30 minute plus tasks do I have skewed up ahead of me? And if that list gets really, really big and I've been traveling, it's like, I need to travel less to be, to be really honest about getting that work done in a high quality. Um, and, or it's like you get to these places and like nothing gets done well, right? You're at the conference, you're not yeah. paying attention, you're doing the presentation. It's not really that good. So, um, but I do think people who don't travel, or just everybody does have these expectations on it's like, Oh, if you're traveling a lot, like, you know, you should just you know, continue to do your job a hundred percent. And it's like, mm. it's not the way it works. No matter what people say, it just doesn't happen that way. It's, it's sort of like the thing where, uh, if, if you work from home, uh, the people at home are like, well, you can totally fold laundry and, uh, you know, wash some dishes and then maybe watch the kids and, uh, <laughs> also do some sweeping. Basically you can just be at home, which <laughs> I, I think, I think we're, we're probably lucky enough that our situation, we've done stuff like that long enough that, uh, it, it works out. But I often notice that, uh, people who start working at home initially, they have to get over this, uh, you know doing housework stuff, which, which is thrilling in its own. Do you, do you, have we talked, do you do the thing where if you have housekeepers come over, you have to clean the house first? Funny enough, that was, I was actually out of the house this morning just because of that. And we, I like term it, uh, we go through a, a family ritual of like, I wouldn't say cleaning, picking up. It's like mm. trying to get uh, most, actually myself too. I was about to say blame my son, but it's like everyone, like everything needs to be put away so that when someone um, is going to come over and clean our house, so that we have everything out of their way and they can do their job and kind of, you know, scrubbing and cleaning. And because it really just makes, you know, it, I think it's more efficient for them. You get a, a cleaner house. And of course yeah. it's just good in life to like pick up your room, right? In this case, pick up the house, get everything put away. So we do that yeah. every, every week. This is all totally logical. It just drives me crazy though. I just, I just like, I feel like the billionaires who have like a house staff that they're not like picking shit up. They're just like, well, you know, I mean, this is a whole nother, I mean, <laughs> you're in a whole nother category of, <laughs> of opulence. I'm, I'll let you know when I get there, what we decide if we change. Yeah, it up. That's good. You you can invite me over and, and uh, well, just hang out. When, no, I'll have when, the house staff, my uh, coordinated, my social people contact oh, yeah, and schedule yeah. an appointment. Yeah. yeah. When when Brandon eats, everyone eats. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, you know, speaking of everyone eating, let's let's say that you weren't sure if your servers are, were hungry or empty. You didn't know how responsive your applications were. What might you use to figure out the state of, of your uh, your estate? Yeah, it's a great question, Coach, and I have just the answer for you. I would like to let everybody know that this episode is sponsored by SolarWinds and one of their DevOps DevOps tools, AppOptics. Nobody likes trade-offs. Coach, you don't like trade-offs. So why trade-off when you can have it all? Developers are having to choose between monitoring everything and staying in their budget. The result, major gaps in their monitoring. Well, AppOptics is monitoring that you can afford to run everywhere. Pricing is based on host hours, not maximum count or high water mark. With AppOptics, you can catch performance issues before your customers do. For the Find the root cause of any application or server issue in real time. AppOptics lets developers and operations spend less time troubleshooting and more time doing what they love to letting users. It's a SaaS hosted uh, platform or a solution. It's easy to manage. It's budget friendly. And here's what I want you to do to learn more and to try for free for 14 day, go to 
appoptics.com slash SDT. Again, I'll spell that out for you. It's A-P-P-O-P-I. Sorry, it's A-P-P-O-P-T-I-C-S.com slash SDT. And of course, when you visit them, tell them your friends at Software Defined Talk sent you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they, 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 they've been very nice to sponsor so many episodes. I was they just are a fantastic sponsor. And we, we want everyone to try out their products. Yep, yep. You know, th this, this reminds me of a couple things. One, if anyone has a recommendation for a place to get uh, a hair and a beard cut in Amsterdam, I would like to hear about it because I really need a haircut. Like it's gotten to that point where even I start thinking, boy, I need a haircut. And, uh, you know, I went to this place called uh, Cutthroat and, you know, they were just too cool for me. Like, I, I can't handle it. They, they, were, they, you know, I went and I think I talked about this. I went and looked at the guy who cut my hair's like uh, Instagram and he, he, him and his buddy also have like a location in Ibiza or however you're supposed to pronounce that. And uh, they're like super cool. They like run around, run around without their shirts on and look all like they've worked out and uh, you know. It's just, I, it's very intimidating. I don't know what to do about that. So, so what, I just you just need to go back? Like, what did you do? You're just like, that's it? I'm not, no, I'm not no, no, I, I haven't gone back. And they're oh. also like, you know, I don't mind paying that much for a haircut, but it's just like the overall experience, they just make me nervous. I need something a little more low key. I don't, <laughs> right. don't want to feel like I'm being judged by my, <laughs> my haircutter, even if they're not doing it. It's just, it's just the feel, you know, they, he, he, he's got that like, I think this guy is also in his early 40s, which is kind of a mystery. I did way too much analysis of his Instagram feed, uh, but you know he's he's got that kind of style where he wears like a really thin sort of almost white undershirt with strategically placed holes in it, you know, like the little kind tiny tiny holes, as if he's just like hanging out. But he gave me a, a good haircut, so maybe I should go back there. I don't know. Anyways, I just want a low key place to get my haircut that isn't like a supercuts, or or maybe I'll just go back there. Tough call. Now, also, uh, you know, you know, when when you're traveling, uh, you you know, you're a fancy person like me. You go you go on Ubers or car services or whatever your politics drive, and mm -hmm. uh, and this isn't always the case. But down here, they definitely listen to talk radio, not talk radio as we would know it, but your morning zoo stuff. People All talking right. instead of us. And one of the three-year-old mm -hmm. extensive coverage of that yesterday on radio. Now, they also covered something they kept calling hashtag lemon challenge. Uh, so I don't really know. If, if they're, uh -huh. they're, you know, you're supposed to uh, uh, suck on a lemon and not have it do your face in a strange way. Okay. And uh, also, there's a, there's a lot of controversy about local politics and highways and things like that. But... Yes. Now, now is it, I haven't dove into this story, but like, did it really lock an iPad till 2067? I mean, I feel like, I feel like Apple security is such that they, they would be like, yep. Yeah, yeah no, a hundred percent. So what happened was, um, yeah. So, you know, if you just keep trying to unlock it, it just like, you know, t continues to delay it. Right. So it gets to like, I think that is a weird usability thing. The fact that it sort of works as design, yeah. you think at some point they would just be like, it's just locked. Like you can't, you know what I mean, like time doesn't matter, right? It's just like block, yeah. block period. So I think what uh, I read, I actually just, I did become a little interested in it. It's a little new story. I think the last thing I read is that the, they were able to like boot it back into like restore mode. 
Um, and I guess that's what you're supposed to do, right? Is that like you were ideally you reconnect your iPad to like your trusted iTunes. Computer, oh yeah, yeah. And then you uh, can like re uh, restore it. So in that case, you lose whatever data, you know, your toddler, I guess in this case, uh, you know, like whatever they did, you know, between the last backup and it being locked. So it is possible to do it. It's not like it, um, but it does seem like a usability would just. Like that would be the, yeah. you know, because what that guy was, was uh, the fact that he put it on Twitter, I think it's going to make sure to link this in the show notes. It's kind of funny is it's like, it, you know, because Apple's actually usually pretty good and stuff. I think they would just put it on there and be like this. Act, so something to the effect of this device is now locked permanently to, you know, and, it, and then tell you what to do to, to uh, deactivate it or to, to unlock it, plug it back into your iTunes computer or whatever, or, or start a full restore, a restore yeah. thing, right? Just make it obvious. Cause, um, I'm sure that that uh, he is neither the the first person nor the last person to make that mistake. Yeah, yeah, that 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 would be that would be stressful, and and you know, obviously the solution just buy your kids their own stuff. Don't let them touch your things. That's what I always tell my kids when they want to use my phone. Is I'm like, be very careful. This is my favorite thing in the whole world, so do not break it. And I've said that so many times that. I think I think I was telling Cormac that once recently. I was like, "Be careful!" And he's like, "I know, I know. It's your favorite thing in the world." And, he, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you, then there's a moment where you're like, "Well, maybe I've I've uh, uh, given my son the wrong priorities in life." <laughs> but then you move on. It yeah, is funny when yeah. kids re- repeat things back to you, and you're like, "Oh, wait, I guess I've said that too much. I'll dial that yeah. back a little bit." Yeah, yeah. Well, well. Also, this week, I think I think the thing I was you you watched the uh, the keynote as always of yes. uh, the big Google Next event. You're a good keynoter. Yeah, I think you always, your Brandon's trademark keynote live streaming is the DJ. <laughs> That's right, Slack Pointing out what's going on with the DJs and yes. uh, other performances. So let's start there. How was, how was the opening? Done well? Good, yeah, so lots to talk about here. So obviously it's the Google Next uh, conference, not to be confused with Google I.O. So Google Next is all the cloud stuff. That's kind of our world. And then Google I.O. is, it's in the summer and it's it's a lot of stuff, it's consumer uh, stuff as well. So it was, it was interesting, like one, you know, I like to start from the beginning, like set design this year, I liked it a lot better than last year. Last year there was like three different pods and they were like moving around. I think they were doing some kind of Kubernetes things. People were like popping out of left and right. This. Just, you know, if you will, full on, single shot, big presentation things behind it. Um, and it was just made it much easier to follow it online. So I really appreciate that too. I always, you know, the aesthetics of it is, um, I always feel like Google, I guess, made it famous, you know, like the, the deep, dark black backgrounds, you know, with like slides behind it. Google, mm. I mean, I, to, to their credit, you know, I think most people would say this doesn't work, but all the screens behind them, for the most part, white, right? Lots of white stuff and bullets yeah. and demos flying. Um, and it does give it like a, that trademark Google feel, right? I kind of, you know, you just kind of feel like that's like, there. Like light and airy. That's, that's yeah. sort of the, the Yeah, kind of light, airy, fun, you know, and you're seeing a lot of the, the colors, you know? So, so I like that. Uh, of course, uh, so they started out with the Google CEO uh, came out and, what is this? Uh, what is? I just forgot his name. But like you know, the big CEO. Thomas Curian. No, no, that's what I was gonna say. No, they had. Oh, oh, uh, oh yeah, the other guy. I was thinking Cloud. Uh, so, that's uh, Sadar. So, I'm gonna get it wrong. Uh, you, everyone knows who I'm talking about. But you know, he's the one in charge of all of Google search and everything like that. So he comes out and kind of gives a quick intro. And you know, they uh, a lot. And what he basically comes back to is a, a, uh, announcing their hybrid and multi-cloud product, which is Antho. So that sort of like comes out says like. Hey, we're announcing this brand new thing, and it brings together 
private public clouds uh, on premise in the cloud and, and, and just kind of says like, here's Anthos. And you're like, when he did it, I was like, like, and I was in the Slack channel with uh, other listeners and it was sort of like, at the, I mean, he just kind of said it. I was like, like no one was sure like what he was announcing, which was kind of a funny thing. It was like, is this like, cause it was sort of like everything. It was like, is this a new version of Kubernetes? <laughs> like, is this the new platform? Like it was just like, boom, here it is. But he made it sound like you're just, you, again, like it could have been anything. You're just like, okay, great. That sounds great. But I have no idea what it was. And then they brought out, um, and then they sort of like decompose it. And they're kind of talking about like, okay, you can move applications between the public and private cloud. And then the big point they kept making was it supports, uh, you know, they say all the public clouds. What they really mean is AWS and Microsoft, right? So this was a management platform that lets you move your, your uh, applications between uh, any of the major cloud, those three cloud platforms, as well as on-premise. And then they, you know, kind of had a callback. I couldn't help but think of like the sun and, you know, James Gosling and, you know, write once, run anywhere, right? You're just like, mm-hmm. and you've been in technology before, like you've heard that, right? You're like, oh, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> it can mean a lot of things. So he does that. And then they bring out somebody who does this demo. And listen, I agree, man, infrastructure demos are very difficult to like show them and make it compelling. I used to do this uh, single sign on demo and like when it worked, it was just, it just signed in. It was like the boringest thing of all time. So <laughs> as someone that has like been a part of many infrastructure demos, I get it. I get it. But I think what you have to do in that case, it's less about the demo. It's like creating the story. Like you need to yeah, spend yeah. more time on the story, less time. So like when you're doing a single sign on demo, like you almost don't even show the demo till like the very, very end. You're just like, you're talking about how like, and then it's going out here in the SAML token. And you know, you have to really, really over uh, emphasize what is going on because otherwise like people have no idea what's happening or it's just like, oh, it worked and you don't even care. So that they yeah. came out and they did this idea and they showed a website and they showed migrating it you know, in live time, but it was, I don't know, like there just wasn't a lot of narrative because they show you the website and then um, the presenter says something like, and we've like pre-configured the script and they just flash the script up, right? And then it's like hit a button and then like, a few minutes go by and then, and then they did the thing where they, well, we've gone ahead and pre-transferred it over and then boom, the website's up and you just have, I mean, you know, it was one of these things where you're just like no idea like what was really happening behind the scenes. So it was like hard to understand like, oh, okay. What they had done is they taken it from an on-premise uh, server, right? To into in the Google cloud, but very difficult to get all of that. I thought that part was really, really difficult to get. Um, but I think the net net of it was after reading it, and like talking to all the uh, uh, software defined talk listeners, everyone kind of came to the whole thing. It's really, when you get down to this, it's Anthos is a management platform for really Google, uh, what they call uh, GKE on-premise, so Google Kubernetes, right? So you can either run your Kubernetes in Google Cloud or through Anthos. If you have GKE on-premise, you can run it there as well. So, I mean, that's sort of a, mm. maybe a very simplified way of looking at it, but they're really providing the management and uh, the, the ability to do all of that together. And they, I think what they kind of call it here is a Anthos config management. So if I was to say, like, mm. tell you, like, if I just go like the next level down, it's really those, those three things. It's Google Kubernetes engine, which is their on-premise thing. I'm sorry, what, sorry, which is their cloud thing. So that's running it in the Google cloud. Then you have GKE on-premise. So you've got that part that's on-premise. Then you have the Anthos config kind of making it all work in between those two. 
And then you have Istio, of course, right? You need some kind of networking mesh system. So they've sort of you know, packaged that up and make, made all of that work together. And then the part that they didn't, other than saying it, and so I don't know, if, and I'm sure they've maybe done some further um, presentations there today, was when they say it works with AWS in Microsoft Azure, what I don't know is like, what does that really mean? Like, do you just have to link in your account and give it permission to like provision servers inside like its own Kubernetes environment or like exactly what parts of the, the other clouds is it using? I think it's probably just the infrastructure side, but that part was sort of just very hand wavy other than just like, hey, it'll work. All right. So, and, so, and so it's, a, it's, it's only for <clears throat> Kubernetes stuff. So it's multi, it's, it's like Kubernetes is mom or something that's going to like layer on top of, not even I layer think so. on top. That's pretty much, and when they say it, and that's the idea. So I think the idea would be if you got all your apps in containers and they're running on Kubernetes, right? Mm. Or maybe we should start that way. If they're running in containers and those applications are easily deployed in, in Kubernetes, which they probably are, right? Then at that point, you could kind of easily move them between the two, right? right and right, the fact right, that right. they, and then the missing link though is like, when they say integration between those Google, those other clouds, like what is that, you know what I mean? Like, what does that really mean? I guess that's the part that I did not, like, what do you have to do to set it up? How quickly, if you do set it up, because um, you could do st simple stuff, like just a VPC today into Amazon, right? You could set up that infrastructure any way you wanted. Um, so I don't know like what advantages you get. So that part I think needs to, a lot more teasing out to really understand it. Yeah. 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 I didn't, I, I spent a little bit of time trying to find like the, uh, the comprehensive explanation of everything, which if anyone's working on like marketing material at a website, if you could just add a link to that, like <laughs> on everything, that would be great. Just like, I don't care how many pages it is just like just big manual. Like I, I will admit that even, uh, at pivotal, like we send you to like a web page that has a whole bunch of stuff, but I just want a PDF. I just want to be like this. My, I, I want to know that I'd like to, for example, let me, let me use, uh, uh, what's it called? Anthos. I'll, yeah, I'll Anthos, use, uh, yes. let me use Anthos as an example. <clears throat> let me clear my throat. I, I would be interested in knowing everything about it, at least at a skimming level, right? Where I could kind of skim through it. And in order to do that, I would like to know where page one is, and where the last page is, right? Like, so I want to read everything or at least kind of get a view at it. Just to answer the similar things that, uh, that you were saying, right? Now, there was a lovely page that listed, it even had a, 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 the new stack reference on it, which was nice, but like, and it had some nice diagrams, which is great. And again, I'm aware of throwing rocks and all the glass houses I've ever lived in, but it would be great if maybe it exists, but just linked off of that page was like, here's how it all works, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and so, for example, it, it leaves, and, and also I'm putting all these disclaimers in here, like maybe it exists and I didn't spend a lot of time. You could see the conversation at the beginning where I've been traveling a lot. But with you going over it, I would assume something along the follow, following is there are various Kubernetes distros that are compatible with Google's lifestyle. And if you are running those Kubernetes distros wherever, then you can manage it. Uh, with with this single plane of management. Now, maybe it's even more general, and because Kubernetes is a standard, it all has a similar, uh, we say observability nowadays, right? We don't say monitoring. So there's That's a similar, right. there's similar, what do they call metrics in observability? <laughs> Are they called something like, uh, I don't know, really good or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. So, so you, you got, yeah, you have your, your, your uh, portals of chaos. That's what we mm -hmm. should call metrics. 
Um, and so I assume, or maybe the Kubernetes stuff is standardized enough that you get the same hand, uh, you not handful, you would get like uh, some sort of like Indian God with hundreds of handfuls uh, like of data. And so you can just easily collect that and manage it. And there's probably only like, I don't know, 50 various operations you would do in Kubernetes to start things up, monitor them, kill them, attach storage, do network configuration. So I guess you could, you could also just say Kubernetes is open source and a standard. So with that standard API, very reminiscent of the concept of OpenStack, uh, we can manage through that API, given yeah, that I the mean, implementation is consistent. And then I, that will solve for the AWS and Azure thing uh, for man managing those as well. Yeah, you know, I watched it pretty closely, and that was what I was kind of waiting for. Like, they didn't say, um, like, AKE, what, Azure, Kubernetes, and then, you know, uh, of course, Amazon's got, uh, AWS has got a couple different versions, right? They have what, their, uh, you know, their uh, Kubernetes version and then their own what can, uh, containers as well. So I didn't, you know, this is the part, like, I guess is kind of that I thought would have been interesting was like, you know, and I understand it's their keynote, so they're not going to spend a ton of time emphasizing other event, their, you know, their two main competitors, but you know, that was the part, and I'm sure it's been maybe distilled in other presentations, but, or just even on here, right? It's like exactly when you say that connects to other clouds, like, is that what you mean? It's like, okay, yeah, you know, you just plugging into another Kubernetes distribution and we support Amazon and we support Microsoft and like you're using their, their stuff or you're standing up like, you know, kind of more infrastructure that Anthos is going to ultimately, um, you know, manage for you, or, you know, the third one being that Anthos is quote open, right? It's like, are there management APIs that, you know, maybe they're really close, like to your point about Kubernetes, but you know, the other vendors just got to do a couple things to make it work. Like all these things, when you left that announcement, right, it was, you know, you just kind of like left with a lot yeah. of these questions, like, well, you know, and uh, to your point, like I always think, you know, Apple, you know, they, when it, the best time I've seen a rollout where you're talking about detail was Swift, the Swift programming language. Because at mm. the end of that thing, they're like, they're not like, here's the PDF. They're like, here's the book. The book is 400 pages. And it is in chapters, right? <laughs> where you can go through. And the first part is like what it is, how it works, and like lots of examples. And then like the last 300 pages is like essentially like the, the reference for the, the language. You yeah. know, like perfect, right? You know, you can like move around and get what you want. So that's like the gold standard. And I understand a programming language is a lot different than, you know, uh, oh, sure. management platform, but, but that's kind of what, you know, you would want here would be like the front end of like, here's the narratives, here's what it is. And then you can go to the chapter on like, okay, integration with Azure, integration with AWS and actually see what it works. So, so I get it. I mean, they're going to have to like do more on it, but just the way in, um, I did find it, it was, uh, um, Suchan, uh, I just had the C the CEO, uh, Sudar, uh, Panchai is the CEO of, uh, Google. So he's the one that came out and kind of let off. So it was, I think they did that for a lot of reasons. So like give it like a lot of like gravitas, like this is really important to Google. He led this off. He did that part. And then he introduced the new, I guess he's technically the SVP of Google Cloud, um, Thomas Corian, right, came out. And then he really you know, took over from that. And so there was a lot of, like, praise for Thomas. And, you know, Thomas did a good job kind of, like, recognizing Diane Green's former SVP of Google Cloud, like, acknowledging her contribution. And then, you know, he kind of just took over. So, obviously, you know, he, as everybody knows, like, big-time Oracle person, like, lots of stuff written on Twitter. But, you know, he came out. He was – he definitely felt enterprise, like, in a good way, right? He didn't have the tie-on, but he had, like, you know, basically a suit without a tie on and was 
was very enterprise. And like as all enterprise CEOs or leaders do, just like emphasizing that I've met with hundreds of customers. We understand what you need. It's about the customer. So it's just sort of like really trying to give Google that kind of feeling of like, yes, we're operating like like Oracle or like other traditional enterprise vendors. And we're going to be really responsive to customer needs. And really the place that they showed that emphasis the most was on this whole private hybrid cloud message, right? That's what they just kept Mm. coming to over and over again, right? That was really the point um, that I think he was trying to drive home. Yeah, yeah. Well, you a couple of things. One, so he was actually wearing suit pants, not, not really dark blue jeans. Yeah, no jeans. Like he had like oh. slacks on, I think, because everyone else pretty much had, um, you know, except for the customers that come up from banks, they always wear suits. But everybody oh, else yeah. was, you know, kind of the more like the dark jeans, night, you know, kind of like a uh, dress code kind of thing. Well, listen, listen, I made a prediction uh, last last episode that voice technology will always be garbage. My prediction for this episode, maybe this will become an ongoing uh, uh, bit. Bit's the wrong word because I'm deadly serious. Voice is okay. garbage. Uh, no, but I think I think uh, by next year he's going to be wearing dark, really dark blue jeans if things are going well. Like the longer the longer suit pants are worn, got to be a little shaky. Think, you know, we we are trying to change enterprises, not persist them. Now, now next, I have a feeling. Uh, I don't actually know. I'm not an analyst anymore, so I don't really know Google sales. But they are, as all the articles relished in saying, uh, a distant third. Uh, in in the uh, the cloud rankings, I wonder if they struggle. We you know this one of the reasons you would emphasize. They say hybrid instead of multi, right? Are they are they consistent with hybrid or do they slip a multi in there? No, they said both. I mean, they said I think it was oh, used pretty much interchangeably. Okay, okay. Uh, anyways, they pro- I bet one of their big stumbling blocks with enterprises is that that exact thing where they're basically like, oh, but you just run in the public cloud, which is great but that's not going to work for us. And so they need to have, I mean, they've had GK for a year or so, like on-premise or something, but they probably need some sort of on-premise thing, which, which, uh, which is fine. I think, I think other vendors suffer from the opposite uh, of that in, in the area. Now, now, the other thing that was much mentioned, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong or, or whatever, is basically they can now migrate VMware VMs into Google Cloud, right? Was that part of it? Yeah. So, you know, I think Matt and I spent probably way too much on a previous episode talking about, you know, this Windows 2008 end of life, right? So the Mm -hmm. uh, Windows 2008 server end of life. I remember that. January, I'm sure you remember it. January of uh, this, of, I guess this coming January, so that would be 2020. And SQL Server actually is uh, end of service life in July. So, you know, and I, I kind of think of the world right now is like all the cloud funders are really two distinct you know, clouds within the clouds, if you want to go this route, there's like transformation to cloud, right? And there's migration cloud. And there, everybody, because of these, these dates, right, these 2008 dates, I think are, is driving an incredible amount of migration work, right? And this is less about, you know, kind of the world, I think, you know, you spend a lot of time, Cote, it's like the culture and like, let's do some design thinking, let's do some pair programming. This is more like, man, we're on this treadmill and we're going fast and we are yeah. about to crash. I have 10,000 servers that I need to move like today. Right. And so what are you going to do? And I think this is where, you know, Azure has its approach, AWS has its approach. And then today, this morning, Google announced, you know, some live migration tools where, yes, you can take both. uh, I think they showed both Windows servers as well as um, uh, some 
uh, SQL Server databases and migrate them to their cloud offerings. Because again, clearly, this is, I think this is less about a Tom, mm. Thomas Curian kind of thing. It's more about this is the thing that everybody's under the gun to do. So, so it's like kind of, as I was saying before, it's like the focus at the moment for any large enterprise that's got made some commitment to Microsoft, which is generally like everybody, right? I mean, you've just got some Microsoft if you're a large company. They are all focused on figuring this out. And so one, they, one it's partially because like, obviously it's going to be end of life, but two, it's like, you know, where do we want to be? Like, wh which of these vendors, who's going to give us the best price reduction? Because everyone's looking for a deal. If I'm going to move all this stuff, I should save a lot of money. And then finally, I think it's not lost in any of the major cloud vendors. You get somebody to move thousands of VMs over, Right you know, we know we talk about lock-in and things like that. Like this is not something people are going to do a lot. Like once you get that business, that business is going to be there a minimum three years, if not longer. So a lot of talk about all of that. And, and then, and then what you're saying implies that they're porting from some windows OS to at least the new version or to like Linux or something. Is that the idea? Well, they showed a couple things like one, this is another thing where they, they showed uh, this idea of a, a migration utility, right? So the idea that they could automatically take a VM and make it a container. It's like, I don't know, this is another one of these things where you're like, need to see a lot more here, right? So one was that, you know, essentially they could integrate the VM, which there are tools out there that do this. It's not like no one's ever attempted this, but, and then they essentially will then, you know, take that, rebuild it into uh, potentially into, you know, a container usually running Unix or sorry, running Linux and then actually get your application over there. So this is a whole app migration play. We can on, so, so the message, the high level message is like, hey, we can automatically just move all the stuff to containers, right? But again, where's the white paper? Like exactly which things are mm. eligible for this, which things aren't, how, you know, if Matt Ray were here, I think he, he could really go into detail on this, right? Like, you know, because- but, but where did he find the detail? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah, well, I think this is like, you know, you had to be at the sessions or, you know, going to have to watch it that later. So you have that part uh -huh. of it, okay? But then you also have the other stuff, which is just taking a VM, right? Just lift and shift. Like we can just take the VM and run it. Yeah, and they, you know, they showed, they had an announcement with um, right. and the VMware. And just take it over as is and just run your Windows uh, VM, in, in this case, on GCP. So that's, you know, if you will, a much simpler way of thinking of it. And like that obviously would, you know, a lot of people are doing that. So that's not, that's not nearly as controversial as like we can migrate in real time because most places, and I think, you know, you spend a lot of time, I bet, talking about this, right? You know, when you're going to do some app migration, it's usually when you need to inventory what your apps do, what are their dependencies, what are the technologies, you know, and maybe it's easy to port over, maybe it's hard, but I think few apps can be like automatically migrated without, you know, without somebody there behind the scenes, like really checking to make sure everything works. That, that, that makes sense. Yeah. And it just, you know, I guess, uh, I don't know. I, I never really would think of the Google cloud as just running like generic things. Like I always think of it as mostly like for, you know, the services that they have, the middleware stuff they have. And, uh, if you're writing software, but I guess if you just got a bunch of rando VMs running, you could, you know, you could run them there. Well, I think this is kind of back to like, you know, if you're going to play in the enterprise, right. And this is where you, you know, you want to build, you know, whatever the business, you know, whatever, however many billions of dollars we think they are going to be spent there. This is a key requirement for the large enterprises is to run the boring stuff, right? Take all the VMs I have today. I want to get them out of my data center. I want to get them in your cloud. I want it to be cheaper. 
And then for some cases, I want to get rid of the, the VMs altogether and my, migrate to containers. But a lot of this stuff is going to live on for you know a long time, right? It's just not eligible for transformation or it just doesn't make sense uh, from a cost perspective. So it's like, just keep that app running. So I, I think their response, and this is where I think Google, you know, I think when we talk about the developer world, right, we often hear that Google has maybe the, the most developer-friendly cloud, right? Certainly Kubernetes comes from them and they built a lot of technology. And I do think they probably deserve, like they are, they feel a little bit ahead in the developer experience to me. Um, but at the same time, they feel kind of behind in like managing traditional infrastructure. But that's mm. probably where the bulk of the business is today. Or certainly you got to overcome that that obstacle in a sales cycle to actually get people out there. So, well, so, so as our last exercise, you know, assuming assuming that next episode when Matt Ray's on and he corrects all of our misconceptions, tells us how things actually work, which would be great. Or, or we find this mythical manual. Maybe he would know because they're printing it up over there uh, somewhere in China. And he <laughs> intercepted one since he's the, the Lord of APJ uh, and he's read through it before it gets on the boat over to California there. That, that, could, that seems to happen quite a bit with him. That's why he knows so much. But anyways, let's, let's, assume, let's assume the best of all possible things, right? Which, which mm -hmm. is basically the follow, following. That essentially, uh, it's a multi-Kubernetes manager. Multi-Kubernetes. That's a new multi-cloud. And basically, like as I was describing, it can hook up into things and just manage it for you. And mm -hmm. uh, now, now, I'm not sure if that means that you can have multiple Kubernetes clusters over various geographic zones acting as one thing, which I think is ultimately what everyone has always wanted since the day that uh, the days that Sun was going to run data centers in Siberia or something for uh, what was that network.com, which that just turned out <laughs> to be just like HPC stuff, right? Like right. that was very disappointing. Um, anyways, we've always wanted that the global multi-zone cloud that is yeah. just some dumb infrastructure. So yeah. it's probably not that. And, and then the other thing is, let's just assume uh, you, if you just got some generic, and by generic, I mean, you kind of don't really know what's in them and you don't really have to muck with them too much. You got some VMs running on your private cloud, you yep. run this tool, and now they're running in Google Cloud. Right. Uh, and yes. you, either have, you either have yeah. to port, make sure your application, because it's going to containerize them, but a container still has an operating system and software running on it. Yeah. Uh, so you either have to port your stuff off Windows onto the Linux that runs in the container, or you put Windows in that container, and then you right. might have to upgrade the Windows version based on, uh, you know, whatever, the Windows Server apocalypse thing. Right. Um, or sometimes later in the summer, Microsoft's like, hey, just pay us a lot of money and we'll keep supporting it. Which No, boy, no, the Microsoft thing, right, just for everybody who doesn't know, yeah. the Microsoft thing is put your, if you put it in Azure, you get three years of extended support for 2008. So again, Microsoft. Oh, that's, that's good. Play, I like you know, Microsoft playing its trump card there, right? It's like, hey, if you just put yeah. it over here, we'll save you some money and we'll give you three years. So you don't have to do anything, right? For three years, yeah. just put your 2008 in. So good move, Boy. like nice move by Microsoft there. Yes, yeah. All right, all right. So we'll assume all that. So Brandon, you used to yeah. do this thing when a company would be acquired, who loses? So assuming the happy path here, who do you think loses? Like who are the, who are the partners, the other people, the ecosystem in the cloud world? Like who, uh, who's not doing well here? Well, I think... You know, without a doubt, right, I, I look at it like AWS, the behemoth, still, you know, rocking along. I think Microsoft, you know, this just in, it turns out owning the operating system, really valuable, Kote. No one would have thought that. But it just, again, like, you see it again with the way they're handling 
integration. So I think if Microsoft sitting present a whole nother set of options, like, hey, we can just put this right here. You don't have to change anything. We'll help you for three years. So that's a solid thing. And then Google, I think this gets them even. Now, the thing, and where I'm going to go, the way I'm going to answer your question, the other major announcement here was Google uh, has essentially done what I think we had talked touched on about before, right? So we've talked a lot about open source and the fact that all these companies are changing their licensing models, mostly, you know, because they're worried about AWS. So Google came out yesterday the other way. And essentially, I mean, again, hard to take it any other way than just a, a shot across Amazon's bow. So what they have done is they've partnered with all the guys that were changing the licenses model. So it's Redis, Datastax, Mongo, Elastic, uh, Influx, Neo4j, and Confluent, right? So those guys have all been kind of like in the, in the world changing the licensing model. So what Google has said is that we are now going to partner with our open source friends here. And they're going to offer unified billing, uh, unified support, and one other uh, thing I just, and, and basically allow them, you know, if you want to use these applications, so think of it kind of like this app store model, you'll essentially be using Redis on Google's cloud, but you just pay the bill to Google, get all your support from Google. And they essentially, you know, if behind the scenes, they do some type of revenue share. And I think we touched on this a couple, I don't know, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about like, could this happen? Right? I think we were using um, uh, another cloud vendor sort of as a placeholder there. But so they've come out and essentially done that. So they said, we want to work and they had, uh, I can't remember which guy it was. I think it was, yeah, the Redis CEO came up or Redis. They kept saying Redis. I guess it's the correct way to say that. Redis Labs CEO came up and, and sure enough, he said something along like, you know, it's been a challenge to monetize open source software. Again, no surprise to anyone who's listening to this podcast. So he was obviously really excited about partnering with Google. So mm -hmm. this to me, it was like, you know, this was sort of kind of at the end of the keynote, but like to me, this was the big news. Like this is really something significantly different, right? We're about to see what do people really want? Do people want to be part of these open source projects and use them and make sure they get paid? If so, your answer today is to go work with Google Cloud. If you're just like, I just want the, the functionality and I don't really necessarily care about, you know, what it is underneath as long as it's, you know, some technology based on something I've seen, then you're going to go the Amazon way. So, yeah. like, to me, I was like, this is exciting. I was like, you know, in the world of enterprise software, I thought, like, this is about as exciting as it gets because you really have two people with two very different strategies about to really try try out some different uh, approaches. So we're going to see what happens. Yeah, it's, it's a good, it's a good uh, experiment between the two because if I remember, uh, someone on the Google side was basically like, we're going to make sure they get paid a living wage. <laughs> like whatever whatever wording you would use in that setting which which uh, which I'm sure is nice and then and then you get to run the uh the actual thing uh so so that is that is a good uh that 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 was that's a good instance of the do they still say don't be evil that that was that was always <laughs> a good slogan but your thing I didn't answer your question so like I mean big winner yesterday were all of these open source companies right that one are in the catalog two I think anyone that started an open source infrastructure company of any time I think they have to have first thing on their list is like we got to get in this Google Cloud uh, catalog and we got to get part of this revenue split right kind of like you know if you will with Apple and of course you know there is a little like warning here be careful what you wish for right because I think Apple sort of revolutionized the app store as we know it but now not everyone's happy with it. Like oh, sometimes the app developers are like, you're taking too much. Or like Netflix is like, I don't want to give you that cut. But I think these, these guys are more like the magazine providers in the Apple scenario. We're like, you know, any money we can get is better than nothing. Right. So I think they're a little bit, um, so they definitely uh, left us a big win. I think, 
I like this idea because I, I think this is one of these, you know, we talk so much about strategy, right? It's like, this is an, a flanking move, right? I don't know if there's an obvious way Amazon could, could culturally Amazon seems to be more like we want to just use this technology and keep costs low. So I don't know if they're going to quickly come out and say, Oh, we'll pay you too. Um, they could, but it doesn't seem like something they will match as easily. So I think that all of this together, right, I think is, is really interesting. And then I'm going to plug, you know, our uh, interview podcast that we did this week with Matt Ray and I interviewed Adam Jacob, right? And we talked a lot about this situation. I mean, we, I think on the last episode, you guys talked a lot about Chef and it's, it's moved to 100% uh, open source. But if you listen to that interview, I think one of the points Adam makes a lot is about, you know, ultimately the value is is the the trademark and i'm gonna go one step forward there he didn't say this but like the value is often being a part of these communities and i thought to myself the announcement is really about to put do people of the software that's behind this, you know, Amazon. And so I think behind this is kind of this like this idea of like, is it really community and brand that people want to be a part of, or do they not really care? Right. And I think this is going to play, mm. this is this is going to be an experiment. You know, if we were at the weeds, if this is the weeds podcast, we'd be like, in two years from now, we can go back, look at the data and we'll tell you what people really cared about based on this. Yeah, there, there's there, there's some really interesting things going on with open source in Denmark. That's that's what they would be talking about. Yeah, yeah, you you know it it, it does bring together two foggy notions. Uh, as as you're saying that, I I was even thinking about this week. You know, we the 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 spring one tours that we go on are uh, as the name would imply, just basically about spring. So basically about Java programming, and then and then Tasty meets Paul gets up there and he's like, here's Kubernetes. Uh, so we have that in there, uh, thankfully. Uh, and um, I don't know. I think I talk about some digital transformation or some bullshit like that at the beginning. Uh, but it's it's interesting to like you know as always hang out with developers because their their view of the world is much different. And I think if I may, if I may uh, briefly extemporaneize, if that's a phrase, I think their view of the world is I don't want to pay for shit. That's basically it. Like. There, I don't think there's really any other driver except it needs to be free. And of course, there's other drivers, right? They would like it to work and be fast and kind of be interesting. Uh, but essentially, they need some way of using something that's free, which is part of why they like Spring so much, right? Because Spring's free and, you know, basically programming is free uh, and, and container things and stuff like that. But then I think, despite what I was just saying uh, about it being the only thing, there is a tremendous amount of like, I guess we should say brand. It's fun to be snarky and say fashion, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, companies, they carry this mysterious thing on the balance sheet called goodwill. And I think, I think this combination of goodwill and brand, which I always think of goodwill as basically like uh, you give the company the benefit of the doubt and you think that they're doing something good and you assume that a product they have is, is a product worth consuming. And it's just an overall, as it would say, goodness you feel about them. And I don't know how much Google's goodwill on the balance sheet is, but like, I feel like in this space, they have an incredible amount of goodwill. Like most everyone is probably like, that sounds awesome, solve that problem. Google <laughs> did it again, right? They're right. just like, boom, like sounds perfect. And so it, it is like in that, 
so so as as a not purely open source thing like that's nice for google as, as it as it uh, were and i think amazon has a similar thing in there right like the the goodwill that people would have for amazon is like it does everything and it works mm-hmm. <laughs> right which but is, I do which think- is a good position and 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 then anyways I, I the the other thing is so back to the open source thing is it's it's almost an extension of that idea as as you were saying is what matters is that you are using the actual open source thing, not like an imitation of it or whatever. Like this is the actual Redis or the actual uh, Influx or the actual Mongo that you're using. And, and, and I think some of that, rightly so, goes under this notion of uh, compatibility or avoiding lock-in, right? Like you want to use the pure thing and not use something that... Uh, you know, has a little burr in it that makes it like not compatible with other stuff. But I think another part of it is just like, you want to just use the pure thing. You don't want to use like some strange off-brand thing. You want to use the actual thing. And then therefore, if that is the sort of belief system that you're operating under, then yeah, you want to, you want to have all the open source people be on board. And, um, and then, and then the question just becomes long-term, uh, like, is that from, from a, a cloud provider's perspective, is that, a profitable way of doing business. Like whatever cut you have to give to Mongo, does that, are you subsidizing them by not profiting off of it, but in the future sometime you are, or is it actually like a profitable business model to give them a a, a cut of it versus developing it on your own, which who knows? It's probably instance by instance. Yeah, one way to think about it is acquisition, right? If if people are more likely to come use your thing, because to your point about the brand, they want to use the actual Redis, right? They want to use they don't want to use the thing that's not branded that way. And if that helps with user acquisition, obviously, you know, that's a huge cost savings. And and I do think, you know, and this is I, I'm just sort of just fascinated as like a sociological question about this whole thing. Cause I, I think your point is right. Like people want to use stuff as free. But when we go to these conferences, right, and we just go or you go to some happy hour with a bunch of developers and really like, I don't know anyone that's works in tech like I guarantee you're going to see like you're going to see a lot of like t-shirts with like corporate logos right you're going to see a lot of people like right. and, and that is sort of like an identity kind of thing like I don't you know like I work on I have a reddish shirt or I have this right so there is some self-identification going on like I use these products and these products are what I want to do and when you and I do agree that developers want things free but if you like try to go into a room and be like, let's just use this other thing that's free that you haven't heard of that isn't maybe as well-maintained or just isn't well-known. Like that's not going to get a bunch of people excited. You know, they're usually like, why, why don't we just use the other thing, right? Why don't we use the thing that's more popular? That's um, you know, that I've used more that I have more experience with. So, you know, kind of back to that Adam Jacobs interview or his kind of discussion, right. Is, is I think that is like the big question of like, how much is that, uh, a brand and how in the case of the developer, right? Like they're not really paying if it's just like, Hey, use Redis. And then, you know what, we'll just do a deal. Um, then behind the scenes, like, yeah, we'll just buy that for production. Like, you know, it's called, it's cost effective and the business guys do it. I think that's the way, you know, that community wants to go, right. As long as they can get it and they're not paying for it. Um, and I do think there is some brand identification and, and um, you know, I, I was trying to think of an appropriate example after that Adam Jacobs interview. And I, I think maybe, you know, there's all this college scandal over here in the U S but I was thinking to myself, like, you know, when people apply to college, here in the United States, like it is a huge identity thing. If your goal really is just to learn uh, like freshman calculus and maybe like freshman English writing, like you don't really need to pay 
to, you don't need to necessarily pay a lot of money to do that. There are like a lot of community colleges. There's lots of stuff online. Like if your goal is just to learn calculus and learn it really, really well, I don't think you need to actually pay to go to college to do that. You'll probably do a lot of it online or maybe you up, pay a very low cost community college. But, but what are you missing out on that? Like you're not part of a college. You know what I mean? You're not part of a huge collegiate experience or freshman class, whether you're like into the sports or just the community or meeting new people. Um, and I, I don't know. I just I think to myself, you know, some some part of open source touches on that same idea, right? Some of it is about being part of the community. So I think that's what Google is definitely kind of betting on with this this um, announcement this week. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know before before we uh, wrap up, I was I was thinking earlier, you know, when when I was complaining about the uh, the the manual for things that maybe not at first, but eventually one of the nice things that uh, Chef and Puppet had is it was they were just like so you need to configure things that's what we do <laughs> it was just there's like very little ambiguity it was like we got this thing it'll connect to whatever you want and like change some ini files done right now of course there's other stuff that it does but it's a very straightforward thing that it does which uh which which is nice i remember you know back when i was doing cloud strategy stuff this idea of uh what did we even call it back then managing multiple clouds in a single screen that that was that was the big idea that's when right. you had cloud, uh, cloud brokers are like a big thing. yeah cloud brokers bursting that whole that's, idea that's that's when you had right scale i, I guess yeah. you still have right scale but that was that was their big thing they were uh, layering on top of everything and then and then everyone was trying to figure out the value prop like is this about cost controls is it about like knowing everything that you have and uh i don't know they 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 do nice reports now those right scale people, uh, and I'm sure I, they probably are are a fine business because they still exist, which means they they've been doing well. So, anyways, uh, as mentioned, I'm down here in South Africa. If somehow you've logged into my uh, my computer after recording this and you're listening to it, you can come see me tomorrow, and several other people here in Cape Town. Otherwise, you should go over to uh, springonetour.io and and there's plenty more cities uh, that you can come catch us at. And then also, uh, there's other conferences uh, you can go check out if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 174. I should also mention that uh, if you want to go to DevOps Days Minneapolis, which is August 6th and 7th, there's plenty of time to plan for it. Just block that off on your calendar. Probably, I bet it's probably even that thing where you go to Kayak and you check the pricing. And it's that rare instance where it's like, you should probably wait to buy this ticket because it's going to be cheaper. Every time I've looked at it, they're like, oh, dude, you need to buy right now. <laughs> to, uh, which which is not helpful. Uh, but anyways, you can go to DevOps Days Minneapolis, and if you use the code SDT2019, you can get uh, $50 off of that. Also, Matt Ray would probably mention that there's ChefCon, uh, May 20th to 23rd, where Matt will be speaking. And there's one in London, June 19th to 20th, a little a miniature ChefCon, which is exciting. Now, we, we had to skip over listener feedback last time, Brandon. You want to go over some briefly? Absolutely. I want to go over a lot. We've got a lot of people who've uh, emailed in and I always appreciate it. So uh, Daryl from Pennsylvania, he uh, started us in Overcast and he got the last gray software defined talk uh, t-shirt. So I'm sure he's wearing that with pride. Matthew from Book Raton, in a genius move, he, he actually just wrote a review on Twitter, which I said was like, man, I should have like started we're suggesting that like years ago. So he got the last black t-shirt. Um, so, Hey, if we ever do this again, we have a great, uh, 
uh, t-shirts, like, yeah, write us a review on Twitter. That's probably better than all this iTunes and Overcast and everything else. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm designating him. He's in charge of social media strategy uh, going forward. And I appreciate everybody um, who got a t-shirt, but we're gone. They're gone. So no more t-shirts, unfortunately. Um, Carl from Gainesville, he tells us that he loves it when the three of us get back together. So sorry, Matt Ray didn't make it this week, but this is still a great episode, I'm sure. So we sent him some stickered stickers. And then Richard, and then Akote, your local knowledge will help me out here. He's from Rotterdam, which I believe yeah, is in sure. the Rotterdam. Yeah, pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty major city there. City there in, in the I have Netherlands. no idea. Is that like saying like is that like the Bronx in New York? Like I have no idea where that is. Oh no 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 that that, that would it. that that would be that would be like saying I I mean you know like Houston like it's just it's just a big big port city. Interesting interesting two facts about Rotterdam. Uh, I think it was the Nazis. I, I I've lost track, but basically the city was leveled uh, in okay. World War II. Not so good. it's com- it's more or less completely new. Like everything is built oh. up and uh, and new there. So it's related fact to that. There's long time been this uh, kind of like between Austin and Houston, this rivalry between Amsterdam and Houston. And uh, I think part of why the Amsterdammers, uh, you know, Amsterdam look down there. Rotterdam, you mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Did I? What did I not, say? Not Houston. I don't think no, there's no, no. a rivalry between Amsterdam and Houston. Not that. No, they're, they're probably good friends. But between between Rotterdam and Amsterdam and and. Uh, one, I found that all of the uh, the Dutch people uh, outside of Amsterdam, they, have I gone over this already? I, I spent an extensive time asking Dutch people what they think about each other. And everyone agrees that the Amsterdam people do not realize that the whole world, the rest of the world exists. They basically oh. only think about Amsterdam. It's okay. a very, very sort of way people would describe Austin Nights, right? Remember there was this old yeah, KUP... There was this old KUT thing where where there was this joke of of this girl was like we were standing in line and we started talking about how great Austin is, and I realized that like if you get some Austinites together after fifteen minutes they basically spend the whole time talking about how great Austin is, which I think <laughs> I think maybe that's the view on uh, on on Amsterdam. Anyways, but then also the Amsterdamers I think uh, part of why they don't like the Rotterdam people or you know have this this fun rivalry is because it's just like they got this brand new city instead of all the fun old stuff. All right. Well, I like it. Well, that's excellent. Well, I hope Richard enjoys the sticker. And then finally, last one, Clive from Brooklyn, New York. He got some uh, stickers and he promises to spread the word at uh, his local coffee shops, where I guess everyone in New York works at coffee, coffee shops. So good, mm-hmm. good. So uh, appreciate all the feedback. Appreciate everyone uh, emailing in. But dear not, if you did not get, do not have a sticker, then this is what you need to do, Kote. You need to send me your postal address at stickers at softwaredefined talk.com include your postal address i'll send you a bunch of stickers we can send these worldwide no problem just uh let me know where you are and we'll make sure to get it and then of course if you want to you can follow us on all the socials we got the twitter we got the instagram we got the linkedin we even got a facebook page but i don't really think everyone seems to be down on facebook so i don't really talk about that but it's out there so check all that stuff out yeah yeah you just reminds me one last thing then then we'll i'll get to recommendations uh, one, when you said everyone works at a coffee shop in, uh, in New York, just for our Dutch listeners, does that, that does not mean that they're just like smoking out all day. Long. Oh yeah. Actual, different, actual different. coffee served there. <laughs> but also, also related, I was searching, I was trying to find a place to have coffee, uh, actual coffee, uh, with, with someone next week. And I tried to search in Amsterdam and I realized, holy fuck, I don't know how I would search for that. Cause I can't really put coffee shop in. So I don't know. Cafe. I don't even know what Cafe. I would search. But, yeah, but a cafe fresh. like is a that's whole different. other like that implies a restaurant, and you're gonna eat some of those oh, sandwiches. I don't you know, know what man. I mean. So, uh, luckily, I was sitting next to Tasty Meat Paul's, and he was like, "Oh, I've got just the place to go." 
because everywhere he goes, he checks out all the places. So he, uh, okay. he gave me a recommendation. But nice. I need to find the right search terms for that. So with that, what do you recommend this week, Brandon? You know, a while back I bought a, uh, you know, this is a three, a three-year-old review, but I, I went out and got an iPad pro, but I got the first gen. So it's the nine, 9.7 inch one. And, uh, the reason I did this was I wanted the keyboard on it. And so I know they've recently announced the new iPads have it, but I was going to say having an iPad with a keyboard is definitely a lot different. Like I use it more. I feel like I can do more with it. I ended up getting the pencil just cause like, you know, why not? Right. I got it used. Um, the pencil is interesting, like it's novel, but like I did take notes a couple of times, but then I haven't, it's just sitting on my desk, haven't used it much. So I don't really know if you need the pencil, but I'm all in on the keyboard. The keyboard yeah. makes it quite a bit. And, and my mission, right, is to get to the point that if I've, if I've traveled, I, I just want to be able to take an iPad Pro. Oh, Definitely that's not the there. Dream. I can't get there. Like this is too much PowerPoint. I, I don't know. I haven't figured out the PowerPoint side of that yet, but, um, yeah, yeah. but I can do a lot of like when I, I talked to you before, like when you're traveling, it's the work you want to do is kind of this like traffic control, like yes, no email routing slacks. It's like iPad is really good at that. It's really, I think it's excellent. And that's why I really like with the keyboard. I can be, I don't know, five times more productive, like getting things done. Um, but I'm not willing to like do a PowerPoint, like create a PowerPoint on uh yeah. No, I haven't ventured that. So I don't know if that can be done, but, uh, but nonetheless, so I got mine for like used for like 300 bucks and, uh, I guess the new ones now they have the, uh, the keyboard thing. So, so probably like, I don't know who's using like maxing out the CPU of an iPad. Like, I don't know why you'd ever buy the pro, like in the case I did it. Cause it was the only one I could get the keyboard at the time, but now now I can get the keyboard and the pencil with the regular one. So I think that's probably a pretty good buy for everyone. And, and this, so is, this is the one where, this is the one where the keyboard's like built into the Apple cover. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's the cover yeah, okay. one. So it's just like another cover. I, I thought it was going to be kind of bulky, not a problem at all. The one I have has been fine. Very happy with it. Well, here, you, you, so I use the pencil all the time. I use this app called GoodNotes. There's most, most people seem to like notify, uh, but I think GoodNotes is, is the best. I, I, you know, and I actually just like treat it like a notepad. Uh, but you should try the pencil. But here's the problem with the pencil is like, Aside from this one case that I have in the Apple sphere of iPadery, the idea that your pencil should be like securely attached to your iPad doesn't exist. And so like, you know, the keyboard you have, right? Like it, it more or less, as far as I remember, sort of like fits securely there. Like you don't feel like it's going to break or fall off or anything, but there's not really any, you, like you can't do that with the pencil, right? So you got this pencil thing and there's really nowhere to put it. And so therefore I think a lot of people just end up forgetting about it. Cause they're not going to like carry around this dopey pencil all the time. Whereas well, I think you know, that would be an argument then for the new one, right? Cause the new one has the magnet where you do the pencil. Yeah. Just, yeah. But I mean the magnet, it's going to like, like, I mean, you have to envision it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You have to envision the scenario where you, you like throw it into your bag, right? That's yeah. what, that's what you got going on. Or they need to have a pencil that doesn't seem like it's going to break if you put it in your pocket. It yeah. probably doesn't work. Well, I think to your point about the notes thing, like I think everybody can do some quick self-assessment. Like if you are like, I know you, Kote, just from years, right? Like you've always have a notebook and it's usually you're pretty diligent about writing things and notes. So like, you know what kind of person you are. Like I generally am not mm. writing a lot of notes. I just aren't like, I, I will tend yeah, to like, yeah. if I'm going to do it, I'm going to open up. Uh, so back to the keyboard thing, I'd rather just open up the notes app and type than write. That's just my preference. So you know who you are now, like right away. Like if you're the kind of person that like, I will say like writing on it is fine. Like actually it was like 
it's yeah. you know it's like i was like wow bad handwriting my bad handwriting on the ipad looks pretty cool right i mean it just it's it was just the same so that part is nice and also the infinite scroll right you just don't have to like look for paper you just like just keep yeah. going make it as long yeah as no no i i think i, I think, like I think you're, you're exactly right because like oftentimes i feel like i should be typing but then I realize, like, I'm not going to get around to it. Whereas I can, if I can just write, like, I'll actually do that. Even if there's a hassle of, like, uh, going from analog to digital at some point. So, but most people are sort of like, it sounds like you answered your question right there. You should just type in the first place, uh, which, which is fine. Well, my, my recommendation is uh, there's, there's a season two of The Tick is out on Amazon Prime. Uh, and if you haven't seen season one, then you should see that first. But season two just is delightful. It's uh, it's it's. I, I think I'm about halfway through, and uh, it's still exciting. It has it has a fun little minor appearance from that one guy in The Walking Dead, who's like uh, who's like uh, the, the 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 number two guy for the saviors or whatever. And uh, it's it's he he he's gonna uh, he must have a difficulty getting roles because he just always seems like that character, no matter what he's playing. But uh, you should check that out. It's fun and delightful. I think I'm going to watch it after recording this <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of giving in to my uh, my uh, my uh, what do you call them uh, sort of workmaster demons who say I should actually do some work after this. I'm I'm going to watch some some of the watch show. some movies, watch some TV. I like it. Yeah, but it's delightful. It's a very well done show. Uh, it has it has a boat called Danger Boat that is sentient and has AI. And uh, really likes the Princess Bride. So if you're into that kind of concept, it's the show for you. Well, with that, as always, thanks for listening. This has been another software-defined talk uh, episode. I was just about to say drunk and retired, which would be fun. Uh, I always try to start that podcast more or less back up, but I just, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't get around to it. That would be fun. But if you want to get the show notes for this episode, this being episode 174, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 174. And also, while you're over at Software Defined Talk, we've mentioned uh, our Slack channel and talking with people several times. You should log into there. Check it out. There's a lot going on uh, on a daily basis. So with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. What's in the paper? What's in the paper? <laughs> Earthquaker. Earthquaker. Oh, a lot of shaking going on down there. Earthquaker. What's number one in the charts? Bell Bib DeVoe. Bell Bib DeVoe. Number one in the charts? Bell Biv <laughs> Gonna have some cornflakes. Gonna have some cornflakes. <laughs> Can't have cornflakes without a whole lot of milka. <laughs> Are you okay? Doing okay. Got a whole lot of milk. Your mother's cheating on me. Your mother's cheating on me. Bell Biv Devoe. Gonna 
fix the car. Can't fix the car without a whole lot of milk. 